Welcome to the Play Golf in College podcast with all things junior golf and college golf. Now here are your hosts, Coach Mark McDonald and PGIC founder, Coach Brad Sparling. All right, we're very fortunate to have Scott Fawcett with us this week. Scott is the creator of the Decade Course Management System. He's got an app, Decade by Birdie Fire, um, web-based platform. It is awesome. Scott is a very smart guy. I think I heard about him over four years ago. He was working with a young man called Will Zalatoris who went on to win the U.S. Junior and played really well in the USAM, et cetera. And I said, man, I've got to figure out what's going on with this new course management system Scott's created. So I called him up and he was gracious enough to come up to Ohio for a couple of days and really explain his system to me and some of our elite junior players. And we've been using it ever since then. Scott has um, had, I think, nine major championship winners attend his seminar, use his his um, system. And what I really like about it is that it is not based on what Scott thinks you should be doing or that the best players are doing. It's what they are actually doing. So he's crunched all sorts of data um, from ShotLink over a number of years on tour to figure out what the best players are actually doing, what their shot distribution patterns look like, what optimal strategies you should employ um, to save incremental strokes on every hole. And if you add that up over 18 holes, you're going to save a lot of shots. So um, we've been using this with all of our players for over four years. It really does work. It will absolutely be the best two or $300 you spend a year if you want to improve your game. If you want to get better, you need to be using decades. So Scott's a very smart guy. Um, we're looking forward to getting into into this. So here we go. Scott Fawcett, Decade Course Management. Scott, thanks for being on today. Can you give us a brief overview of Decade, you know, why you created it and why it's important and, and you know, how it's saving people lots of shots out on the course? Sure. I mean, like, like I think all good or decent things, it was honestly a total accident. I, you know, I, I played professional golf and then I got my amateur status back and, I just decided I wanted to give the U.S. Mid-Am one last good solid run and uh, back in probably 2013, 14, I guess, and just realized that I could take all these new strokes gain statistics and combine them with shot patterns just really to help my own game. And then only because of injury did I uh, did I go caddy for Will Zalatoris when he won the Texas Salmon U.S. Junior that year. And next thing you know, the SMU coach is asking me what, you know, what the heck I'm telling him. And, you know, Bryson wins the, uh, the, the NCAAs and U.S. Amateur the next year and a Apparently, I've uh, solved a major hole in golf that I don't think I don't think people really realized how much of a hole there was in course management. To be honest, if I mean, if they did, I would have thought somebody would have put more effort into solving it. But it really is just a, a very, very difficult game to learn how to play. And I think at the end of the day, I accidentally solved that problem. Well, I know for our players, uh, our elite juniors and college players, uh, we we make it mandatory that they use your, your system because it definitely works. Um, and there's so many good parts about it. One of the key things I think, and you've talked about this at length before is expectation management. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that, how important that is. 
You know, so much of what I feel like I do teach well comes back to what I did poorly whenever I was playing professionally. So I was a, a great ball striker and I certainly had, uh, you know, ridiculous expectations with what I was, you know, thought I was capable of doing. And in hindsight, even if you're the best players and, you know, one of the best players in the world, your shot pattern is simply huge. And even if, even if it, if it, if, if you did have like a, a a sniper's rifle, if you will, or a, a, a magical golf ball launching cannon, the simple variance in wind makes the game, like I say, impossible, but it makes it really hard, especially when there's, you know, lakes and bunkers and all kinds of stuff. And your shot pattern is 30 or 40 yards from 170 or 80 yards, even if you're a professional golfer and the green's only 25 yards wide, well, that's, that's a bit of a problem. And at the end of the day, the expectations of not letting a single bad shot really dictate your next shot is the key in my opinion to not letting uh you know if you think of scores as a normal distribution curve so let's say that my range is 67 to 77 with you know 72 being the average it's pretty normally distributed around that my players if and when they're using decade properly and expectation properly that high end of their range just kind of disappears it's just just if if my my highest score that I could possibly shoot is 75, 6, 7, somewhere in there. 95% of the times I shoot those, it's because of expectations. Me basically just punting strategy, trying to force it back, um, you know, chasing the shots that I've already lost. There's, I really wish that I'd clipped this thing from Facebook one time. There's a college coach that said one of his players had, had bogeyed uh, three out of the last four holes making the turn, and he said, I'm going to go get him back, coach. And the coach said, just stop giving him away. And I really think that that's everything. It's, it's interesting how many people, lots of people ask me, well, if I'm playing good, can I, can I get more aggressive? And I say no. But what's really interesting, if you think about your own game, the vast majority of people, when they do get more aggressive, it's because they're significantly further over par than they're, than they're used to. And so they're trying to force it to get it back. So it's just this strange paradox where people actually play more aggressively when they're playing poorly, trying to force it back into their normal scoring average which is what leads to the, that, that highest 90 percentile of rounds. Mm -hmm. And it's all expectation management. I couldn't agree more. And I think especially with Brad and I, what we do, we obviously are, are, we work with primarily kind of the elite junior and college player. I think this is so applicable to that age group and where they're at. Um, it's just, like we said, managing those expectations. And um, too often than not, I see especially these juniors that are just beating themselves up left and right with missing a 10 and 12 footer and mm -hmm. I'm just talking to them like guys, the best players in the world, the best putters in the world that's under 50% from that range. And they're just, they're expecting to make it. And then all of a sudden it snowballs into the next few holes. And like you said, from there, sometimes they, they start even getting more aggressive because they're playing poorly and they're trying to get those shots back, which we all know that they're already gone. Well, and that's, what's fun for me sometimes with, you know, Twitter is, I put something out recently. Some guy had, had, had tweeted that the college coaches, if they're coming out to watch you play, they know you've got something. They kind of actually want to see you play bad to see how you handle yourself. And I, I retweeted that, and, and I, I just kind of pinged a few college coaches. I was like, if you like that, agree with it. And it's just amazing to see Stanford, Florida, USC, just all these big coaches just saying, yeah, I, I actually I, I know you can play. That's why I'm here. I want to be, see if you're the kind of kid that's going to turn – a 73 into a 76 because I can't have two kids like that on my team. And at the end of the day, every, I mean, just literally every single time that you shoot significantly above your average, it's entirely quitting or trying to force it. 
I mean, sure, there's times you just get a couple bad breaks and, and make a huge number here or there. But for the most part, it is almost always mental. I mean, and then that's what's been fun with me from this, from this decade app that we have now where we can actually track. It's, it's a self-reported score where the kid basically has to say whether or not they were committed to every single shot if they uh, had an ADD moment, if they had their, their target and shape and distance in mind. And then we combine those outcomes with the GPS entry where we actually can see where the ball went. And now there's just this microscope you can't hide from. <laughs> you have to tell me where the ball went in the GPS deal. And if you're being honest, like let's assume that the kid actually wants to get better, that combines the, the two statistics and it's just unbelievable the mental errors you can spot from data, which has never really been done before, but it's just, it is absolutely linear as your scores go down. Your, your thought process is improving almost as much as anything. Right. So you're talking about decade link there, right? The GPS. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The GPS and then the, and then Dr. Michael Larden's mental right. scorecard. So we combine those two, those two statistics and just what you can really drive from players. It's Bo Hostler called me last year, or the, the week before he lost in a playoff. And he just was saying, you know, I'm not getting any looks right now. And so when I get a PGA tour player that says that to me, I go back through their last 10 or 12 rounds in shot link where I can actually look at the images of where the shots went not just, okay, your proximity with a wedge is, is 24 feet. Who cares? With Bo specifically on that one, it was 24 feet, but it was all short. And I'm like, man, I don't know what you need to do here, but maybe just trying to hit it five yards harder. And it's so funny to take this guy who's the week before is I mean, not freaking out or anything, but he's definitely frustrated. Like, man, I, I don't feel like I'm playing that bad, but I'm just really not getting any looks. I know when a player says that to me, they're questioning, are they playing aggressive enough? And that's never what it is. It's entirely, are you getting looks from 80 to 130 and how are you playing the par fives? And to yeah. just have a conversation with a guy. And then literally it was Monday morning that we go through this packet of about 14 shots that I found over the previous 10 rounds. And the next, I mean, literally that week he loses in a playoff. It was just kind of shocking where it's like, wow, it, sometimes it is just that easy to just spot an error. And that's kind of the point of the decade link. Um, portion of the interfaces for coaches to be able to just now the players when they when they show up to a lesson we literally just spent two hours yesterday working on it when the players show up to a lesson they they'll either be able to print out a pdf or an html link to the coach to where you can go through you know five or ten holes of the players last few tournament rounds that, that's one thing cameron mccormick does so well the few times i've gotten to sit in with him on lessons he, he, you know, he knows his stats program backwards and forwards. And I've, I've just watched him go with players, like explain exactly to me what happened on these shots. And, you know, he has to go through every single shot to find those shots. So what we're trying to do is basically remove that time component and actually just get you to be able to, to show up with a packet. Here's my 10 questions. And so you're, you're you know, in an hour lesson, the first five or eight minutes of it can be tidying up course management. And then you jump right on into if there is anything like, like how Bo had, I'm just coming up short with my wedges. I don't know what he did to fix it. I don't really care. It's not my job. But he knew to hit it a little bit harder, do some something different. Yeah, the decade link thing as a from a coaching perspective is a game changer because it's one thing to see the strokes gained analysis and, and where you may be losing shots. It's another thing to see visually where the shot went. Um either over one round or if it's a three-round tournament, we can see where all of those shots went. That's invaluable in terms of being able to help our players 
um, get better, where they're losing shots, et cetera. I mean, that, that is incredible. If you're a coach or an instructor or teacher and you're not using that, you are doing your players a disservice, in my opinion. I mean, that's just incredible. Yeah, well, thank you. It's, 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 it's fun because every single time we kind of come up with a new iteration, a new spin on the app and whatever, I'm like, I feel like this is as good as it can get. And at this point, I really, like, with, with all due arrogance, like I always jokingly say, I, I really think, I can't imagine what else we're going to do to this thing because it's, it's pretty awesome. And like I say, you, the kid, you got to explain to me how you made triple here or the other, you know, we've written, you know, code to where if a first putt from outside 30 feet doesn't get within 20% of the length of the putt to the hole. So a 30 footer, if they don't get it within six feet, it'll flag it. If they've got a shot that doesn't advance more than halfway to the hole, so they're 150 yards and it doesn't get within 75 yards, that pretty is a pretty clear indication it hits something. There's just all these little things that we can write in the code to flag specific holes. Um, and, and then it's just, all right, rather than, the problem with, 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 again, with golf and tennis, you know, you, every other sport, you're getting a lesson on the actual field of play. Golf, you're not. And more importantly, like you just, it's just hard to teach course management on a driving range. It's hard to teach course management on the course because it takes too long. And so to really have a, a, a comprehensive post-analysis review of a player's, I did this. Like I, I can't hide from the fact I did this and now explain to me not in a bad way what happened, but like, man, were you, were you not committed? Did you not have a target? Were you unsure of your shape? Did you not like the wind off the left while you were playing a fade? Like what specifically happened on this shot? And if you diagnose it quick enough right after, they're still probably going to make the error a few more times, but it's just, it just, I mean, absolutely expedites the learning curve. Like you can't possibly imagine. And I think that that's really that was the reason I called it decade was imply we're going to take decades off your learning curve. That's, that's the whole point is to really just, just launch the learning curve through the roof on how quickly you can learn what's traditionally been essentially an impossible game to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Scott, one thing that Brad and I really like with decade link is we try and obviously we can't be at every one of our players tournaments. And nope. that's obviously the, the best thing is to be able to watch them play a full round of golf, but it's just not, not feasible for us to do. And it makes it so much better on, on our end to be able just to scroll through there. And like you said, you can filter it in a way where I can see where a guy lost uh, a half a shot uh, mm-hmm. and it flags all those. Um, and it, it makes it super simple when we're going through their round with them. We can say, hey, what was your thought process here? What was actually going on? Or on the flip side of that, we can see holes where they – they did really well uh, and talk through some of those scenarios as well. Um, but the, the number of times that we are having a conversation with a player and they're trying to go through the round, like you said, they can, they can kind of hide a little bit behind what actually happened. But I think now with, with Decade Link, which we think is awesome, um, again, it's not really exposing them, but it's just holding them accountable to what <laughs> yeah. they did on the golf course. And uh, we're just trying to help them get better. If you made a triple, you've got to explain it somehow. Yeah, <laughs> there's only you so much you a, can do. Yeah, you hit it a few extra times. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's yeah it's it's hard because you don't you do want to build a kid up and not just focus on the negative, but at the end of the day, the playing lesson portion of it is really almost exclusively focusing on the negative. There's just so much misinformation, confirmation bias. Whenever you know a, a player can play too aggressively and can get away with it time and time again, but eventually it's going to, to, to 
to creep up on them. And that's the thing, again, all these kids that are 24 and under on the PGA tour that are doing great things. The vast majority of them have sat through my seminar or attended a college that had the app and the kids are just, they just understand how the game works. It's such a younger age. I mean, again, that's, I put some of that up on Twitter the other day where some guy had some said something about maybe the old equipment, they were able to shape it better. And I'm like, actually, if it spun more and all this other stuff and was harder to hit, I would argue that they should have been shaping it less than even the guys do now or attempting to, you know, shape it both directions. Cause it was so hard to actually do you sure you could get the ball to move both ways, but to get it to move the right amount was really hard. Yeah. And I think that it's entirely possible that everyone back in the day was, was playing the game wrong based on old outdated cliche. Um, but then when you think about a guy like Nicholas, I don't think of that guy as working it a ton. He just hammered the same shot over and over and over again. And I do know that's what is optimal in this game. It's, it's a tough one with irons, but I know for sure with the driver tee shots, you just need to get really good at doing one thing. Yeah. And then the irons, 80%, probably at least one direction. I mean, I played a hundred percent one direction. I'm a pretty good player. I, I, I just, I think that it's overkill trying to work it too much. Yeah, and I think you said that um, down at the PGA teaching summit, couple of weeks ago where pretty much the only two, I think you said this, the only two people that you're aware of that are really working it all the time on tour right now are Tiger and Bubba. Other than that, everybody's got one stock shot and they're trying to be really good at that and just do it over and over again. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't want to make a definitive statement like that because there definitely are guys that, that work it some, but the, I mean, the vast majority of the guys that are really good out there, I mean, you know, Claude Harvin's one of the best instructors in the game. And there was a great quote from him, I think, in one of the golf magazines a year or two ago saying he wants Brooks to be as one dimensional as possible. Mm -hmm. And I just again, I, 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 I as a guy who was 120 ish mile an hour club head speed whenever I was playing, I'll I'll say that maybe my bias is lean towards if you hit it hard it's hard to work it both ways because you're trying to alter the face path relationship by five or six degrees at 120 miles an hour with the flattest face on the, you know, golf clubs being swung the fastest on the longest stick. Like it's just a really hard and essentially useless thing to do. Um, maybe if you're a slower speed guy, like a Zach Blair or somebody, you, you have a better chance of getting away with it, but I still don't think it's necessary. I, I really don't. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like guys, they, they just think that that's the way the game is played, but I've been fortunate enough the last two years to walk, you know, nine holes with, with Brooks and Claude at the U S open practice rounds and watch in and watch DJ hit balls and just float around out there, you know, acting like I'm part of the scene and with my, uh, my little inside the ropes badge. And it's just amazing to just watch these guys do the same thing. Over and over. When when Brooks run at Aaron Hills is in the final round, I think 13 or so is the par three. This wind was whipping 15 off the left, and he's playing a cut, and he has aimed this thing so far left, and he just hits a fade, riding a pretty hard wind, just like it's nothing. And I'm like, that's exactly what I would expect and what I think is optimal. And and in my own game, how I know I've come uh come a long ways by by stopping trying to work it so much and I just really, really believe in that. Mm -hmm. But it's hard because I'm not an instructor. Like I, by design, am trying to not be a, a mechanics instructor because I want, I enjoy having a lot of guys on the PGA Tour referred to me, and I don't want the play, you know, the coaches to think I'm going to try to poach their players. So I'm by design an amateur that only teaches you how to play. 
And so I do feel like sometimes I'm overstepping my bounds there a little bit by saying that, but just as my experience as a player and watching what the best players in the world do, I just know that's a fact. Mm-hmm. I want to get your comment on something Bryson <clears throat> said the other day, because I know um, he sat in on your seminar, you know, use your strategy when he won that national championship. I'm not sure what he's doing right now, but I think he referred to a much more aggressive strategy now. Going sure. Every pin. Um, is that really what he's doing? What, what's your no, he is. I mean, I, I like Bryson. <laughs> he's a good dude. He's obviously a quirky guy. You know, Cameron McCormick and I, we have our, we're both in Dallas. We both share some players and whatever. And, you know, we, I, I wouldn't say we don't see eye to eye, but I mean, there's definitely a little bit of animosity, I guess, between us. I think he's a nice guy. I feel, I feel it more from him than me. Bryson was on his podcast back in December. And the only reason I even bring that up is because the, the exact clip that, that Cameron chose to post on Facebook was Bryson saying, I aim at every flag and all this just <laughs> shit. <laughs> Where I'm like, <laughs> again, you can't, you can't hide from shot link. I can go through your shots and look at it. And both of his FedEx Cup playoff wins, his ball was on the fat side of the pin 70.4% of the time. Mm-hmm. So the analogy is if, if he were on a driving range hitting a million shots at a flag at 150, he would blanket that flag half left, half right, essentially. And then all of a sudden in a golf tournament, 70% of the time, his ball finishes towards the fat side of the green or, you know, towards the middle of the green from the pin. And I, I do, I honestly, I take it as a compliment because I, when I hear that, A, what he, he continues in, in that, that quote saying, <clears throat> you know, I'm the kind of guy that. I fired every pin because I'm going to hit 99 out of a hundred shots. Perfect. Which is ridiculous. And then he's like, I might be aiming at six or seven yards away from the pin, but then right at impact, I square (laughs) the face to the, to the target. It's just what I do. And I'm like, well, Hey, the neurons have already fired. That's not even physically possible. You're not that fast. And it's just ridiculous. But like I say, I actually do 100% believe that he is saying that to try to throw people off of his scent of what he's doing. You could hear him that one when he's talking about the uh, the air density and everything the other day. They're they're playing away from that pin exactly there with the wedge. Like it's just not what he's doing. And I take it as a compliment. And I also think that it's funny that you know Cameron is essentially leading him down the path where everyone knows that he's trying to get him to say that he doesn't use decade. I mean that's a hundred percent what was the, the ulterior motive there. And I just think it's kind of funny personally. That's funny. Good story. In theory, I don't know. Well, that's the, th- the other thing that's frustrating about it is, I mean, Bryson all of a sudden, because he's gone up to a couple of people and said that he he didn't use decade back in the day. And I'm like, well, when you won the NCAAs and the U.S. Amateur, I wasn't sitting there answering questions for you. When they asked you the question, what's happened in your game in the last six months? His answer was, I've learned this system Scott Fawcett t- teaches called decade. He came and gave a seminar. Like, you just, you can't unsay that. Right. And... You know, while that whole year while he's playing in Dubai and the Masters is low am, I provided him the packets every single week. We did great things. We talked a bunch. And it's just, you know, again, it's just kind of funny. But I, I'm not upset. I mean, he's, he's made $100 million. So he's, he's, a, he's a large corporation protecting what he considers an edge. But I'm also not going to just sit down and be scared of him. I don't really care. <laughs> I'll, tell, <laughs> he's, he's... I'll tell the truth. I'm staring at his shirt right now. It yeah, he's clearly internalized it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's the point. Yeah, that's um, the point. The importance of understanding shot distribution patterns and the center of your pattern. Um, you know, with a lot of the juniors and even college players, 
I don't think they truly grasp what's going on with their own games and the importance of it. You want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, and that gets back to the idea of block versus random practice. I, I do believe that random practice with your wedges and your chipping and your putting is important because you're really trying to hone in your feel there, your distance control. But in my experience, everyone, I mean, including a lot of tour players, everyone is, that is not at least a web.com player or higher is so bad at what I consider the very basic skill of getting into your posture, into your setup, consistent ball position, and then training your eyes to, to be square, whatever square is to you. I don't care if you're wide open, if you're dead closed, I don't care what it is to you, but training yourself to do the same thing over and over and over like clockwork, like tiger back in 2000, he, it would just, it was, it would be impossible for him to not be lined up and in, in, in a perfect setup position. And I don't think that very many people in the game are actually good at that skill. And so the idea of randomizing your practice when you can't even do it in a block format, I, I don't get it. And so once you start block practicing your, your full shots, you will get good at recognizing, man, every single shot I hit is going 15 yards right or whatever that is. And maybe it's just a simple adjustment and you don't understand how to aim your shotgun. And so really hitting enough balls at the same target to learn how to center your shot pattern over a target and then to be able to take that target and lay it over a green. That's the key to golf. In my opinion. I mean, that's without that, you can't, you can't shoot your lowest scores period. I don't care how good you are. If you can't line yourself up, especially now that you can't have a caddy line you up, if you can't line yourself up and, and just get in a very consistent orientation to the ball target, I think you're kidding yourself. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of, for even a college or a junior player, when I was playing even a few years ago, is just the awareness of what your pattern even is. Um, I mean, I don't remember doing anything with shot patterns throughout my entire junior career or playing in college. And it, it just kind of kills me now knowing what I do know and having used Decade for a little while. I was like, man, this would have been this would have been nice to have a few years ago while I was still trying to play and win, win some money. Um, yeah, I mean, we're but, just out, out there hitting balls and not, I mean, going through the motions. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to give you a plug here, Scott. Not oh that you need one. Mark made a comment about a year or so ago. He goes, you know what? If I knew this stuff and used it and had this um, strokes gain stuff back when I was playing professionally, I'd easily pay $10,000 a year for it. I, I mean, I... I completely agree. I, I, it's just, it, it is, <clears throat> I don't, everyone on tour, I should say everyone, the vast majority of people on tour, they do this intuitively. Mm -hmm. All we're trying to do is take the intuitive and move it to the conscious. And that's an easier, more repeatable process. I mean, I've been, been texting and chatting a lot with Phil Blackmar lately, who talks about how much he used to play with emotion. Cause I try to remove emotion and you know what, potentially if, if a guy like John Rom were to come to me, maybe we wouldn't be the best fit because maybe he does play great with emotion or maybe Phil Blackmar were a kid now, maybe we wouldn't, but 99% of the population would do better with no emotion rather than the emotion they have. And so trying to remove as much as that is, and just turn this into just a methodical, I mean, routines and habits checklist, that is the key to repeating a process. You can't repeat a process if you don't know what the heck you did. 
So everything about it is trying to just make it, it's just, it sounds boring, but it's the exact same thing over and over and over again. That way it doesn't matter if it's the first hole or the 72nd hole, your process is the same, your shot selection is the same, but as much as anything, <clears throat> I really, a lot of the, the mid-range tour guys that I work with, they're, you know, when we talk about, uh, you know, picking a target, and, and one of the main things I said, then now you actually have to have the discipline to try to hit it there. I feel like when I was in my 20s playing professionally, I probably picked decent targets, but then I didn't actually hope I hit it there. I would pick a target five feet right of the five yards right of the flag and then hope I hit it over there by the flag. So now you're putting kind of this wishy-washy, non-committed swing on it. You've never hit a ball in a driving range and hoped you hit it five yards left of your target. And so everything about it is we've picked a target, we trust the shotgun, and we really aggressively try to put it to our target and trust we're probably not going to. And, and just because of the subtle variance in wind, we're probably not going to. And then you're just plodding along and waiting out variance. Right. In theory. <laughs> what are some of the really cool benefits of decade, um, in your opinion, that, you know, that aren't available in some other competing products out there? A competing products meaning like stats portals? Because it yeah. really isn't. Uh, you know, I think that there's a lot of logical fallacies. They're just mathematical fallacies in a lot of the stats programs. Proximity, it, it's, it's interesting, but if you don't know how difficult the pins were, it doesn't really matter. If you're going to try to compare proximity against the PGA Tour and their pins are all three yards from the edge and yours are six, it's a totally useless exercise. It is a, I get college kids all the time, well, my proximity from 150 is better than a tour player. I'm like, it better be your, nine, your pin is nine feet easier. It's, I mean, it, it just, it doesn't, it, it literally is useless. And the problem is with some of those stats programs, they start saying if your proximity can lower, your scoring average will drop. That's not necessarily true. If your greens and regulation drops, you, you can get guys all the time that improve their proximity and their scoring average goes through the roof. Um, I think that my background of, of some economics and poker and professional golf and, and, you know, some crazy stuff in my personal life. I just have a very unique lens with which to look through um, and, and, and then offer advice on how to improve. I, and I just don't feel like, I don't know, it's a tough one because I just feel like combining a lot of that is really what makes Decade unique. Um, because again, I was a lunatic when I played professionally. I was a poor putter when I played professionally. Those are the two things that I feel like I can solve fastest, faster than anything for players when I first start working with them. Hey, Scott, one thing, you, one thing you brought up was it's one thing to know this process. It's another thing to be very disciplined in doing it while you're on the golf course. And mm -hmm. you, you mentioned it briefly, was, was talking about the mental scorecard that's included in that. And I think that's something that's a little bit different than a lot of the other uh, the stats programs out there. Do you mind going into a little bit uh, deeper uh, description of what that mental scorecard is and how it can help the junior college player? Sure. So it's just a pass-fail. You rate yourself on every single shot, did I have a target? Did I have a shape? Did I have a distance? That's it. Did I, did I go through the decade process and I knew exactly what I was trying to do with the golf shot? And then from the point that you're standing behind the ball about to start your pre-shot routine, from the moment you take your first step towards the ball, were you distracted? And you can actually be distracted. You don't even have to back off the shot. You simply need to, to acknowledge the thought and let it go. That's a, a saying that Dr. Larden gave to me and I literally I was so ADD back whenever I was playing professionally. I used to write the word acknowledge around the equator of my ball. So like where people have like a line to line up putting, I just had the word acknowledge written around it. And that would be my cue to like, oh yeah, just come back into the moment, presence. 
Um, and so then if you make a four on a hole, <clears throat> excuse me, if you make a four on a hole, you have a possible of four shots that you were or were not committed on. So let's pretend that I wasn't really committed on my second shot. So I would make a, I would have a three for my mental scorecard while I made a four. So I was 75% on that hole. You do that for every single non-penalty shot throughout the round. And the goal is to get your, your, your percentage up over 95%. And what's really cool again, is we can take, <clears throat> you know, we've got hundreds of thousands of rounds in our database now of, of D one and great, great golfers. Um, and we can take those holes where they had a, where the player had a negative mental scorecard event and we compare it to the, the holes that the player was self-reported hundred percent. And we can now start to put a cost on a negative mental performance. So it really is just, you know, my dad used to tell me all the time, the hit ball is slower. It's quality over quantity, but nobody ever told me why the why is because it's not a magical switch that just flips on when you get into a golf tournament and you just focus you learn to focus in practice to make it easier to do on the golf course. And that's, that's the key. And so there is a bit of a bias. I do think that if you had the exact same mental performance on a four foot putt, but it went in versus a mental performance that where you were maybe a little bit, you know, space cased out, but you missed it, you would be more likely to rate the, the one as a negative and the other one eh, it went in and not, not, not rate it negatively, but it's over a half a shot per negative mental event. So if a hole that these players have a negative mental scorecard on versus 100%, it's like 0.54 strokes at the highest level of Division One college golf. So we're talking players averaging 70, 72 every single time. And so they're also at about 90 to 92%. So that's eight or 10% of shots at a 70-ish average. That's seven shots around that they're saying they weren't paying attention on at about, again, I don't think it's a half a shot, but I think it's about a quarter of a shot. Now, I don't think that you can get to 100%. I do think that Tiger was at 100%, like 99%. I, I honestly believe that that's the vast majority of what Tiger's separation was, was the simple ability to never screw off a golf shot. And so now if we've got a kid averaging 71, he's got three or four uh, space Casey shots around at a quarter of a stroke, I literally think that same player simply by paying attention would drop a shot off of his handicap overnight. That's incredible. That's really so cool. by doing this, you're able to track it and then hold them accountable, hold yourself accountable and improve yep. your performance. That's awesome. Exactly. I mean, and so then in the decade in the app, like you're talking about the decade link stuff, every hole that the kid says I had a negative mental performance on, it just flags it. That's a hole. And, and now they have to show up to you and be like, yeah, Okay, so what, what happened? Why were you not committed? Was it just you were wondering why you wore red shoes today? Like what, what exactly was your space case moment? Or did you have a, you just couldn't quite commit to the target because you didn't exactly know? So now you can really start again expediting that learning curve by taking a self-reported statistic. I wasn't paying attention here. And now go talk with, in theory, a mentor, the, you know, your golf professional, and figure out why you weren't on that hole. I mean, it's, it's, it literally is that, that direct of, of, of improvement to scoring <clears throat> by just paying attention. And so we could sit there and work on our golf swing all day long and not improve a stroke. But if we can figure out, again, we're talking even for the best players in college golf, if we could just pay attention and be committed, we would get a stroke better overnight. Yeah. And, and when, it mean, comes, when it comes down to it, after a 54-hole um, event, whether it's the national championship or 
conference championship, whatever, it almost always comes down to very, very few strokes that makes a difference between winning and losing. So these we're looking for just incremental advantages all the time, and uh, this is a great way to to do yeah, that. Yeah, that's what's crazy, Brad, is when you've got these these events where you're counting 900 scores, 900 strokes, and almost all these they come down to one or two, and or they tie. And you just go back and think about the number of times where it's a decision-making or target uh, strategy off the tee. I mean, it's you can talk about it. You change that one shot into you could find 20, 30, 40 shots probably almost. Well, and that's I, I just put a video in the app for the to start to kick off the 2019 spring semester. And in it, I went through basically all of this math showing that. And then I took last year's D1 men's championship. And I showed that, and I think it was Arizona State missed by a bunch. And if they had improved 16 shots, which was just a shot around per person, mm-hmm. essentially what I'm saying is paying attention, they would have finished like fourth in the, uh, in the stroke play qualifying. But like what you're saying, there were, I think, seven or eight teams within seven shots of that bubble number to, to make yeah. it to match play. You know, because what you just said, 900 shots, if you have 280 shots, so, so, you know, four seventies and you do that four times, that's 1120 shots. And it literally comes down to a shot or two yeah, every yep. single year. It's just insane. Like the hundred meter dash when in, in hundreds of a second is like the tightest race in the world. If you really look at it, 1120 versus 1121 shots to make match play. Mm-hmm. And once you're in match play, anyone can win. I mean, yeah. Anyone can win. All you got to do is get in it. This isn't like in football where the number eight team has no chance of beating Clemson. I mean, that's just not going to happen. In, right. in, in golf, I mean, just get to match play and just sit back and see what happens. And it's just a stroke that, that makes the difference every mm-hmm. single year. Hey, it's- I want to ask you about some, a couple funny stories here in a minute. But uh, before we do that, do you have anything else that our listeners uh, should be aware of in regards to playing the game correctly or decade, anything else? Oh, you know, I think that the, one of the main things with working with Aaron Wise, doing some, some videos for Course Kings out in the desert uh, back in November, December, just really understanding how far you hit your average golf shot, how far you hit your club. People start looking for averages and everything, and you need to, you need to kick out the worst 20%. Let's, let's just say you hit 50 shots kick out the worst 20% and take the average of the remaining shots. And that's how far you hit your clubs. Everyone, including a guy like Aaron Weiss, who's rookie of the year, one of the best players in the world, they kind of play for this 80th percentile of their golf shots. Meaning let's Aaron was trying to hit 110 yard sand wedge and we had him hit 20 shots and he only hit four shots more than 110 yards. He hit 16 short of it. Now, a lot of them were 107, eight and nine, but you just the, the the point is you can't if, if his sandwich is 110, he's not going to accidentally hit at 120. I mean, it's just that's not going to happen. Yeah. But he's going to miss hit a whole bunch 103, 104, 105. And so even a guy like Aaron, if he were 110 and we told him, you know, as Caddy told him, right, you're 112, he'd probably be a better player because you can slightly miss hit it. You're not going to over pure it, and that only gets even I don't want to say worse for amateurs, but their 80th percentile is further from their average than Aaron Wise's 80th percentile is. His 80th percentile is a couple yards longer than his actual average. Mm-hmm. Whereas that gets really skewed for a, a you know a, anyone with five or ten handicap. I, I really think that understanding 
how far you hit your, your, your actual clubs and not playing for the perfect shot is, I mean, paramount to, to, to golf and to scoring and just everything. Hey, Scott, I'm glad you brought up Aaron uh, and Course Kings. It made, me, it made me think of something. Obviously, everything we've talked about so far is uh, shot distribution patterns or everything with full swing. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought that I'd love to hear your take on doing some putting distributions with Aaron. Uh, I was I was blown away when I saw that, and I think a lot of people would I think a lot of people would really benefit from hearing even a player at that level uh, with that much success on tour his first year, and a little bit about his his putting distribution on a putt that really wasn't even that long. No, and it was I mean it, uh, it was it was really interesting because again I, I, I've measured a few people. It's not like I have to do this a whole bunch because it's just a fact. Yeah. Um, but everyone's directional control is going to be five to six times better than their distance control. So meaning I had Aaron hitting a 20 foot putt 20 times, just trying to roll it 20 feet. That was all, that was the goal. And his, his, the width of his shot pattern was a little bit over three cups wide. So he, you know, he basically was all over the cup directionally. And then the depth, the distance control of his shot pattern was almost 20 cups deep. And it's just, I mean, again, that's just the most consistent number you see where if, if a putt is straight, it doesn't really matter. But once there's any break at all and you have a five or six times worse speed control than line control, once the putt has any break, that short end of your, of your speed control is going to start breaking sooner. The, the harder putts that you hit is going to start breaking later. That's what actually impacts whether or not you make the putt. I mean, it, it, without better speed control, I mean, literally you have zero chance of putting good. I mean, that's all there's to it. And so yeah. I look back at myself in my twenties playing professionally and I, you know, I had this, you know, the two T's in the ground cause I saw tiger do that once. So that's all I did. And then for, you know, for speed practice, I just kind of rolled balls all over the green and it's just, it, I mean, it's probably pretty useless really taking some time to learn some different speed ladder type drills and setting them up and just taking, it doesn't take long, 10, 15 minutes of just focusing on your speed. When I caddied for Doc Redman, the, the 2017 US Amateur Champion, I, I caddied for him in Quicken this uh, last summer, and he wasn't putting very well in the year. He's like a negative half-stroke game putter in his five or six tour starts so far. And all we did was this speed drill before the round. We didn't hit any putts at the holes. We literally just ran this ladder drill up and down the green, and he was plus a uh, quarter of a stroke putting that week compared to his normal negative a half. I mean, literally just by sitting there, you know, it's end of one small sample. I get it, but it's the only anecdotal evidence. All I've got is an anecdote here and it works every single time. He improved by three quarters of a stroke, which over four rounds is three strokes. I mean, simply by focusing exclusively on our speed. It, that is just all there is to the game. It's not so real quick. So with, with Aaron wise, he's hitting a 20 footer. Did you say his number of cups uh, was 20 cups? It was, it was eight, it was, it was 18 and a half or 19 deep and a little bit over three wide. So we're talking almost seven feet, uh, from front to back from 20 feet. Uh, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. That's nuts. I think, I think the average junior college player would, would never guess that number for a player of that caliber. So uh, think, think, think what <laughs> theirs are for, compared to the tour player. So yeah, that's I awesome. mean, it's, thanks it's, for, it's thanks for going insane. into that. That's, yeah, well, I mean, and the 40-footer was hilarious. Like, so I did have him run a 40-footer also. 
And the first one, I mean, it was a slow putt. It was the wind was blowing into us, and he jammed it like 15 feet past. And he was like, "Don't count that one." I was like, "We, got, <laughs> we have to." And then he, you know, but from there, he he still is 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 on the 40 footer, hitting the same putt over and over again. It was like 10 feet. That there was some guy on Twitter recently who thinks he's a great putter, who he was talking about who he's got perfect speed control from 40 feet. I'm like, no, you don't. Like, there's just zero zero chance you do. I don't even have to see you putt. I mean, and that's, <laughs> that's just what's funny about like Maverick whenever he was telling me about asking Tiger about why he was the greatest player ever. And Tiger just said, cause I was the greatest lag putter ever. And, and, and I don't think that many people would really understand the brilliance of that statement because it makes everything else so much easier. It's insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, relative to your ability, it's just not that hard to hit the green. And if you're a really good lag putter and then you trust that your variance is going to pan out with some, that's how you're going to hit some approach shots close. Obviously with your wedges, we want you getting a little bit more aggressive, but for the, at the end of the day, if you can lag putt, you're going to make some mid range putts. You're not going to three putt much and life is going to be pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Great information. All right. Give us a couple good stories. Oh man. I don't even know. I try honestly try to think of some, it's sad because I've had this head cold and everything, and I've been on these pain meds for my surgery. I'm, I'm on super stupid, but I mean, just, honestly, so you're saying we're going to get some better stories then, huh? Well, I wish I, I honestly, I really tried to think of some, but I've told so many of them. I mean, I really don't have any. <laughs> I mean, and I know that's stupid. <coughs> I really, I don't have anything that interesting. And I, and literally, I asked Bo Hostler the same question when I was taking. Here you go. Here's here's my story. Here we go. Uh, so the NC, I was speaking, I was going to interview Bo Hostler on stage at the, uh, at the coaches convention in Vegas. And I, for the weeks leading into it, I'm like, Bo, let's, you know, let's, let's talk and come up with some, he's, ah, we'll just wing it up there. He's a super good dude. And you know, if I were interviewing Zalatoris, who I know like a son, I'd be like, yeah, we'll figure it out. But Bo, I'm like, you know, I know you, but I don't know you that well. I've never caddied for you. Like, let's talk about something. And he was just like, I don't really have any interesting stories. I was like, well, how about that time that you were leading the U.S. Open on Saturday when you were like 14? That was kind of a good story, I bet. And he was like, yeah, I guess that was all right. And I don't know. It's just, uh, man, you get out and you get to work with a lot of these guys. I think that the, it's not a story. It's just an assessment. All these guys are all just humans. They are all really good at golf, but they've all got their own inner doubts that some of them – try to hide it in a certain way. But if you're watching these guys on TV, they're just dudes and, and gals <laughs> and just don't uh, put them on such a pedestal that you can never go compete with them. Cause you can. I love Great it. It's not, not much of a story, but sorry, my, my brain really is on. on now we, we got a lot of good stories just while we were, while we were talking. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, this has been uh, incredible. Thank you so much. Valuable information for our players, and people are going to love it. You got it. Thank you, guys. Thanks, hey, Scott. No we appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon, right. Scott. Bye. Thanks.